Welcome to episode 12 of Conversation Pace. My name is Brian Rossetti. I'm the founder of V.02. In this episode, I spoke with Olympian and now registered nurse Janet Balkum. Many of you may have seen Janet on the cover of the latest edition of Daniel's Running Formula. Jack was her coach when she made the Olympics in 2012. Her story is incredible. She was born and raised in Kapsabek, Kenya, same town as silver medalist Bernard Lagat, marathon record holder Elliot Kipchoge, and other gold medalists Pamela Jalimo and Peter Rono. Despite growing up in a town with such a rich history in distance running, the sport was actually not on her radar. Due to her mom's influence as a school teacher, Janet was focused on getting the best education possible. If not for her chance encounter with Peter Rono, Janet does not see her career ever developing and running. After Rono helped her get a scholarship to Harding University in Arkansas, her athletic stardom then took off. Even then, despite her immense success, prize earnings, PRs of 2.29 in the marathon and 31.12 in the 10K, it's clear running was always a means to an end. If you've ever met Janet, one of the nicest persons in the running community, it's no surprise that becoming a nurse and staying connected socially to her community was most important. Today, Janet is transferring all her knowledge and experience as a private coach on V.02. Hope you enjoy our conversation. A nurse these days, you're not a full-time athlete. And um, so we'd love to hear how you guys are doing. You and Jay, your husband, of course, um, works with you as well. So we'd love to hear how you guys are doing. We're doing really well. You know, it's really, really busy right now. And, you know, I am blessed and I get up every day and go to work and I get assigned to whatever place I am needed and I am ready to go. And so there's not really much to like my structure because I signed up for this. It's what I love to do. And so I just show up at work and I just do my job. And you're in the, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are in the emergency room out at the Grand Canyon? So the clinic out at the Grand Canyon National Park will take uh, urgent care patients and we also do family practice. So we also also have about 3,000 people who live in the park. So they also do need a primary provider. And so we are two parts. So we, we take care of our locals and then we take care of the tourists as well. So we do get ambulances as well. So it's technically not like a super acute place. If we get acute patients, we just fly them or send them by ambulance to Flagstaff. Okay. So you guys are, you're not treating COVID patients there or are you? Do you see it there? We have our locals and so we do test them and we do however much we can. If they need more, we do send them to the bigger hospital in Flagstaff. Yeah. And um, do you feel like hospitalization, I know cases in Arizona in general have really skyrocketed recently, but um, are you seeing any signs of that increase in hospitalizations on your end or no? We do. We we do see an increase in uh, the positives. And so we see the sick people. If we cannot handle them, we definitely have to send them out. So we've seen an increase for sure. And uh, 
I do test them also in Flagstaff, like at the county. So we've seen a lot of that picked up for sure. Yeah. And how is, has the testing changed at all from when I remember the picture that you posted of you outside doing a drive through testing, right? Yes. Um, is the testing still a challenge? Do you guys, do you have enough resources and is it, how is the test administered? Has that changed at all? No, it hasn't changed a whole lot. We still have our suits on. And so I feel like at the beginning, we didn't know a whole lot. And now we know a little bit, not a whole lot still, but we still take the highest level of precaution when we're doing the testing. And we do have enough PPEs for sure. Okay, good, good, good. And then uh, have you guys had any experience with, runners who have contracted it and um, who have dealt with symptoms and recovering and who have um, progressed into running um, post-COVID, post-recovery. I know Jay uh, has mentioned that he was coaching some athletes, right? Um, Yes. I'm just curious in your experience how that has gone um, and how people have um, progressed back to running. Uh, Has it been really different per individual or, or are you seeing very common recoveries from it? So for me, I have not experienced that with my athletes or anybody I know, but my husband has. And it's different based on the individual, for sure. Their recovery time and how they're going to get back is what uh, we've talked about. But personally, I have not seen that. Yeah. And what's the best thing someone could do if right now, if they feel like they have it or they have tested positive? What are you guys recommending um, medically to to people in your area? So most of that stuff, the teaching stuff with the COVID, I've been doing mostly the testing. And yeah. most of the teaching stuff is uh, has been done by the doctor. But the best thing is just to take care of yourself and follow the healthcare protocols. You know, it, mm. these people uh, do a lot of research, and I think they know a little bit of what they are talking for sh- talking about. So I think you should listen to your provider for the recommendations and take it seriously. Are more people wearing masks in public now, or do you feel like that's still a problem out there? Uh, People are wearing masks for sure. So I haven't seen a whole lot of people not really adhering to that. So our clinic, we definitely, you have to wear a mask coming in. So we've not really had any problems with that part. Yeah, yeah. And how much, Jan, how much running are you doing now? Is it mostly just fitness? Yeah. Or do you feel like you you still have that that urge to keep, you know, training hard? So it's it's it depends. It's based on the day for sure. But I am still very thankful that I can still get out there and do whatever, you know, I could do the canyon or do a hard run or, you know, Right now, it's not like I'm specifically training for anything, so I can do, I can mix it up. I'm not worried about getting so for two days if I run the canyon, you know? (laughs) So it's it's fun at the same time, and I am definitely thankful that I can still get out there and just breathe the fresh air. And I just run mostly by myself in the woods, and 
just good places where people are not there and it's great to see a few other people out there having fun because the best thing you could do for yourself is just to maintain kind of a normalcy. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. No, as runners, I feel like we're we're definitely lucky that we yes. have that. And it seems like participation is increasing too in terms of people picking up running or going outside, especially because gyms being closed. So yes. um, what is running at the canyon? Like so many people have never experienced that. So so one option obviously is going into the canyon and that's yes. straight down and you got to come straight back up. Do you do a lot of that or is there not many other options so, coming around the rim? No, there is a lot of options for sure. The canyon, like there's not a lot of people who run there. They're there to be tourists, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I and a few other locals do run. I see them out there in the woods. There's a lot of trails out there just miles and miles of just trails it's up and down it's not going into the canyon or being on the rim where all the visitors are so Mm -hmm. it's isolated the other option is going into the canyon and out which is straight basically you go from (laughs) seven thousand to two thousand five thousand elevation change in seven to eight miles and then come back up. And so I do that maybe once every three weeks, once every month. And that's just a mental challenge for me. Sometimes I'll just be like, hey, I'll try to run to the bottom and back before Jake goes to work, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, things like that. And the virtual challenge, I have a lot of athletes who have really, really enjoyed that. And I think you guys have done an amazing job of just keeping that going. So, ah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna keep pushing those, especially with races getting canceled. Have yeah. you felt like it's been really challenging with your athletes to keep them motivated, or or you feel like they're oh. they're going with the flow? I think it's. 50-50, like I have uh, athletes who have even suggested to me that if, even after post-COVID, we can even put it on the calendar for them to do it because they live in this isolated area and they don't want to drive two, three hours to go race. And it's just been a really, really good tool for us as coaches and really good for the athletes as well because I have one guy who has basically done every single one of them. And, you know, if <laughs> most people know Jack's training, a lot of it would be that you either do a T-pace or just go race, you know? So it's been really, really fun for me. That's great. Um, well, you have an incredible story. I want to get into your history, your background, because um, I don't I don't think many people know it too well. And so I want to talk a little bit about growing up and um, your hometown in Kenya. And correct me, because I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation. <laughs> That's okay. Krapsabet. Kapsabet. Kapsabet. Yes, that's um, correct. So tell us a little bit of what it was like growing up there. And obviously, um, you had a chance encounter with, with an Olympian. Yeah. And, and that was the catalyst that I think got you into the sport. But I'd like to hear a little bit just what growing up was like in, in this town in Kenya. Yeah. So growing up, I grew up in a household uh, 
one of eight kids. I'm the oldest. And it didn't seem like it at the time, but we were probably a middle-class family, uh, thanks to the fact that my mom worked as a teacher. But mm. that it didn't look like that at the time. But when I look back, I think, yes, we were probably in the middle class. So growing up in Kapsabet, it's, as most people know, everybody, a lot of people run. And uh, in our household, there was school and school and more school. So that's what my mother drilled on us. And uh, most people don't know, but my uncle uh, won the Berlin Marathon in the mid-90s. And he he hit the Kenyan Marathon national record for many years. So there was an awareness of athletics in our family, like even way before I started running. So you were, you experienced it, it was around you, but there was no importance that it wasn't stressed by your family. No, not at all. It was just school and school and more school in my family. Yeah, I was reading um, Bernard Lagat, which I remember in our previous conversations, he's, he was born in, in Capsabet too, right? Yes, that's correct. And so, and some other um, famous runners, right? Janet, yeah. Um, so, Kapsabet and Robert Chariot. El- Eliud Kipchoge. Oh, Eliud. <laughs> Eliud was Eliud was born in Kapsabet, but he lives in Eldoret. So, gotcha. He was born. Okay, I guess yeah. he, I guess he uh, he probably outdoes all of you guys now. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> I really think so. <laughs> I think even all of us combined. <laughs> So when when you hear people talk about the history of Kenyan runners and how successful um, Kenyan runners have been, and then some people will say um, that most of them originate from the same tribe. Can you speak to that and how accurate that is or if, if that's um, correct to, to talk about it like that? Yeah, I think it's pretty correct for sure uh, because when you look at the majority of the Kenyan runners, they come from basically uh, one big tribe, the Kalenjins. Mm-hmm. And you can go from the Maasai's to the Marakwets and Nandis and Kipsigis and it, the list goes on. And then there's one other small tribe like where Wanjiro was from, you know. So it is very uh, particular for sure. So I think it's true to that because these are the tribes that are that border us and you don't see a whole lot of the people there training or as runners for sure. They will be more like soccer players. So yeah. it is it is pretty correct. What was the elevation? What was the altitude of your hometown, Kapsabet? So it's about anywhere between sixty-eight to seven thousand feet. Okay. And if you go to Iten, where most people are, I think it's twenty hundred meters, which is a little bit more, more like seventy-six to eight thousand. So oh. that's where a lot of them are, and then so the biggest. Places will be Kaptagad, Iten, and Kapsabet. So those are the big marathon megas. 
So similar to Flagstaff. Pretty yes, similar. it is. It yeah. Is. And and so running, you were aware of it, but you had no interest, partly because the just the family, because um, of your family life and the stress of school and education. Um, yeah. So tell us how, what was, what happened? How did you get into running? What was, what was the hook? So after uh, high school, I remember I had the other seven siblings, you know, I graduated <laughs> high school second in my class and meeting Peter Rono was just completely random. You know, I was standing at a bus stop hoping that my fare would get me uh, or the money I had would get me to my destination. Okay. A car pulled over and asked me if I would like a ride. And the driver was Peter Rono and he was the 1500 meter champion in the 88 Olympics. So during the course of the ride, he tried to start a friendly conversation and asked where I was attending college since I was a college age at the time. I tried to explain to him that I wasn't really attending college due, due to financial concerns. He told me how he had been able to get a university education in the U.S. through running and suggested maybe I, I should look into that. Wow. So at that point, that sounded like a crazy idea. He dropped me off at my destination and went on my way without even thinking about it at all. So and you weren't you weren't interested at the time. You were just you were you listened and then got out and that was it. That was it. That was the end <laughs> of the story. You know, I didn't even give it a second thought at all. Did you know did you know who he was before you got into the car or no? No idea. It was total stranger who thought I needed a ride, I guess. You know, I didn't ask him. I didn't want to know any more about him. I didn't even want to know his <laughs> name, you know. And so, I, I just needed a ride. And he told you he was the Olympic gold medalist and it was just kind of like, uh, whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, how many <laughs> how many gold medalists do you have in our little town? And that right. was just way off there in the radar for me. So... Yeah, he told me he was an Olympian. He had gone to the U.S., all the really good stuff, but I still, that didn't even catch my attention. So six months later, I was still sitting at home, no college. Uh, And then I began thinking about the same conversation we had with Rono. So one morning, I just took off to look for him in his village. And the crazy part of it was he just drove up as... When I was looking for him, wow! the same scenario happened and uh, we picked up our conversation from there. And that's how I started uh, my athletics journey and college journey. So when you saw him the second time, you still hadn't run a step, but you were interested in potentially a ticket to college. That was the idea. That, that was the idea. I had not run. I did do PE classes in elementary school and high school. That was that was the extent of my running. What was your physical fitness at that point? Do you think, like in general, just were you, mm-hmm. you feel like you you were physically fit? You just had not trained as a runner. Uh, I, I would say so because you do all the manual labor. You know, you yeah. go to the farm and you walk everywhere because of the I shouldn't even call it the class but like where we were I couldn't afford to take a taxi to town and back I would walk to town and back 
you know. So I had that kind of stamina, but not the running part. Yeah. And and at that point, how, what happened? He agreed to coach you first or he started to help you look for schools? No. So the biggest thing, you know, in college is he looked at my high school test results and he goes, yeah, those are great, you know. So the biggest thing with his group was just trying to get you ready as an athlete as uh, for more education. Like he thought maybe athletics would just come because as time goes, you train and you can get that. But he knew more of the challenge would be even just getting used to being in the U.S. And so he helped us with a lot of that stuff, getting ready for the SATs, you know, what, do I, what to expect with uh, American school system. And so tra- training, he agreed, he had like a small group and he went through everything with me saying, you know, you will have to be in town to train with this group and, you know, study for the SATs. And so that was another big challenge with my mother. If I left home, there would be no one to help her with the other seven kids. So I had to commute from, which was not far. You know, when I look at it now, I thought it was so far. It's only less than four miles. And so I had to commute back and forth every day to come to practices and study and do computer classes. Wow. And and was it challenging for you? Did, do you feel like you adapted pretty well? Or was it was it frustrating, challenging, trying to um, take all those steps? It was very challenging at the beginning, you know, and it took me a while until I realized I have to put a lot of effort in it if I really want to get out of this, you know, and it was, I had to still do my chores every morning before I went to practice and we met at nine o'clock. And so I had to make sure I get up early enough to get my chores done and have enough time to walk the 5K or less than four miles to the stadium to meet up everybody. And so after we, after a few months, it got better. You know, the training under him was, when I look back now, it doesn't seem like it should have been that hard, but it sure felt hard for a beginner in those <laughs> days. Uh, these days, like when I go back to Kenya, our everyday easy evening run used to be my long run. That would be like six miles. And I used to think that was really, really hard. <laughs> so so did, did he individualize the training at all or was it just you showed up? He threw you in with the group and... and yep, yeah. that, w- that was it. You showed up. There was one training. He would make the younger, like the beginners to like a shorter one, but it was still the same course. It was the hilly course. If it was 200, you did 18 instead of 24, you know? <laughs> it, and yeah, it was, it was tough. And... I couldn't even begin to tell you what the paces were for any distance <laughs> or even if there was a difference between easy paces or <laughs> workout paces. So even up to date, I didn't own a watch, you know. It was just keep up pretty much. It was, yeah, it was just keep up. Just go survive for the day. And do you think he was just applying whatever he did in, in college and through his coaching? Um, I think so. I think so. And there are some successful athletes who came out of it. And yeah. it was 
even at the time, there were people who were running pretty good times. When I think back, I'm like, oh, wow, a 204, 800 for female. Yeah. It didn't make any sense to me at the time. But when I think back, I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> that person was really fast. <laughs> and and did, did you start to enjoy the running or was it really just a means to, to an end? Was it just your ticket to get to school at that point? It was just a means yeah. to get my ticket for sure. It was you know if i had any other way at the time i would have chosen that other way you know if i had the money but that was the only option on the table and i had to get it done (laughs) so talk a little bit about um going to harding and what that transition was like to the u.s and and competing for a college team so yes i told you like prs i don't even know what prs were i didn't know any times (laughs) <laughs> and so going to hiring the first two years of college were very, very challenging. Everything was new, the food, the weather, the American way of doing school, mm. the competitive running and being away from home didn't even help. You know, I was having trouble staying healthy, but still made really slow pro- progress as a runner and got used to some stuff. You know, I got used to the food, some of the food, and so I would stick with that. And uh, at some point, my body just came to terms with what I was doing. Yeah, I, I was able to put together some blocks of time without injuries, and my racing started to take off. So in Jen, college, go ahead. Step back, sorry, step back for one second, because because talk a little bit. Was there an issue where you felt like you arrived and there was a different expectation, or um, the coach had thought you had already been running a certain level, or was was that an issue? It, it was an issue. He didn't show it to me, but yes, later he would say that he would be like, "Yeah, this is the runner I thought I would see when you stepped off," you know. <laughs> So at least I am thankful he got to see that, that that came out and he got to experience that without me just would probably say failing him. So it was and in the back of my mind when I got here, you know, I knew you could lose your scholarship. Mm. And even at the beginning, I was really worried I wanted to keep up and, you know, Training in hard surfaces was not what I had done before. So injuries kept coming back and I was still trying to run with injuries because I wanted to keep my scholarship. Yeah. So and I would dig myself in a bigger hole over and over. He would be like, you got to take off. But then when I take off, I'm out of shape, you know. So I would try to do what I could, but I would still go back in the hole. And so it was it was really tough. And he uh, the first coach i had two coaches in college so the first one got to see me through the really rough times and he was really really patient and he for some reason he saw something in me and he just kept me i think it was just a little glimpse of like a good workout here and there and then i would get hurt and i think that gave him hope and with his patience i got better for sure so it was there was 
it was it was different like the expectations and what i was giving in pepper was totally different you know yeah what was yeah. that what was that timeline like when you find when it started to finally click was it was it a full year two years or, or it was, was it i would probably say two years because yeah. i remember the second going into my junior year that summer i remember just going for runs and just feeling better and when school started we do we would do mild repeats as like a time trial and i ran like 45 seconds faster and coach is like whoa you know and i think like i i felt it that summer that i was getting better and i was not dealing with a whole lot of issues my school was clicking uh, and I was getting used to the food. I was staying healthy longer. So it was two years for sure. So two was it roughly two years with 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 coach with Peter Rono and then roughly two years before it clicked at Harding. So total yep. four years. You were only yes. running for about four years at that point. At that point, yes. That's wow. all right. And then so things clicked in college and and clearly things went really well at that point. Yeah, you, it did. You've you know D two champion, all American honors, you know, are a Hall of Famer, um, school records, right? And Yes. What was probably your best performance in college? So uh, I think winning the 5K Indo was probably my highlight in college because a lot of people would know Zoila Gomez. She yeah. made the Olympic team in the marathon and she was the contender. I, I came into the Indo, I was probably ranked second to last. And... We were in Boston running the Indo and I remember just taking off and just latching on her and the coach just raises his hands and after a mile and goes, what's going on, you know? And then after two miles, he just was in a different mode, like just hang on, you know? <laughs> like the first mile, he's like, what are you doing? The second mile, he's like, just hang on, you know? And I remember just thinking, wow. <laughs> I'm going to run a PR, a big PR. And I got second coming in second last, you know. And I think that actually was the turnaround of my running. And then I just remember after that, that thinking, you know, I am going to win it next year. And I went back and won the 5K the next year. So I think that was my favorite uh champion championship race for sure and um what do you remember what your 10k pr was because that's what you ended up um making the olympics in i just wanted to gauge your progression from there do you remember your 10k pr in college i am almost certain it was 34 20 34 20 34 20 34 20 something like low 20s if wow. i'm not wrong yeah wow and um and so what was the training? I mean, was it really just you being more consistent each year you were in the sport, um, building strength? Was the training really different from what you were doing in Kenya? Was it learning a whole new system or was it was it to you just kind of going out and training hard and just continuing to run? Yeah, I think uh, running is one of those things you have to be really consistent. You gotta have a string of days that you are putting in the mileage you're putting in the workouts and I think that's when you see the progression so I think it's a combination of me learning new things 
learning how to stay healthy, you know, and then just being consistent. And then having the coaches that were really patient with me and just being there for me when I needed them for sure. And the other thing is, I think it was basically, I got two coaches in college and they they both used Jack Daniel's book. They did? Yeah, that was their Bible. And so... I think just that consistency helped me a lot. Yeah. And do you feel like the coaches getting injured was a learning process? It wasn't just frustration and and training through. You do feel like you were in an environment where you could learn from the mistakes and you were really kind of building on that? I think so. And I think the biggest thing, Eve, for a lot of people, lots of people want to understand, but like a few people might understand, like the, the... social aspect, the way of life in Kenya, coming from a village, coming to this world, it's just totally different. It can take a toll on you, like even trying to fit in, trying to survive every day. You know, like I spoke English, but I would go to class and I thought people were talking so fast I couldn't understand anything. So I would go to class and then I have to read the whole book because I missed everything the teacher said, you know, and all those little things built up. So I am not resting. I am not hydrating all the little things that I didn't know I had to do. Mm. So it was a learning curve and it helped a lot. Yeah. Wow. And so Harding is in Searcy, Arkansas, right? That's correct. And then when you graduated, is this correct? I don't know if it is because this is I'm pulling this from from your Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so it says upon graduation, you enrolled um, to obtain your license as a registered nurse and you gave up running at that point. Um, is that true? So I don't know what aspect of running I gave up <laughs> because because when I graduated college, I knew I had gotten my ticket, you know, I had gotten what I wanted and running was just something else, you know. So uh-huh. when I graduated, I got married. We moved from Arkansas to Georgia where Jay lived and I taught preschool for a while and tried to get used to the married life. And in the process, I didn't have any friends, so I had to decide how I was going to make friends. And I thought running the local races would be a way to make friends. And I kept doing that at that time, for sure. So and, despite, despite your success and at Harding, you it, there was no ambition to go after the Olympics or anything beyond as a professional runner? Not at all. No, yeah. I, I didn't have... Didn't have a goal, didn't have a dream about the Olympics or even continuing to run. I just picked it up again just because I wanted to make friends and I went to the local races and I won small amounts of prize money on the weekends. And at some point, I realized I was making enough money to quit my job, my preschool job and go back to nursing school. It had been a dream for me to go to nursing school and being a student athlete didn't really give me a chance to uh, pursue my nursing at Harding. So running turned out to be the perfect part-time job during nursing school since all the races were on the weekend. 
So and I did that, and I got to pay for my nursing nursing school. Wow! So the road racing essentially paid for nursing school. What? How much were you traveling um, for these road races? Were you really seeking out the the races that had big purses, or were you just still trying to? It was more a matter of convenience. If there was a race nearby that you could win some money, you would jump in. What What was the strategy? The strategy was, uh, I think it was like a radius of maybe three hours from Atlanta. <laughs> it was something that because I would go to school, like sometimes we would kept wake up in the morning and anything I would wake up at four o'clock and make it to the race. I would do that unless we would go in the evening after Jay's walk. He was a high school teacher. And so he would get off work and we would drive. And I think the furthest I went at the time was uh, uh, South Carolina. Okay. So the and so that was the biggest price money I went to. It was ten thousand dollars, but I but it was fifteen dips, so I knew I could get something out of it. But I just targeted the small races, and sometimes I'll run two races on the weekend. Why not? <laughs> Wait, what was the ten thousand dollar purse? Which race? It was the Cooper Cooper River Bridge Run. Okay, yes. And who who was runner up in that? Do you remember? Uh that came I won that in twenty eleven way after I got out of the small races, but I ran it seven years in a row before I won it. Wow. And it was just a good spot to go to. But I, I think it was an Ethiopian when I won in twenty eleven. Yeah. But oh. that was that was the time that I had already run a few US championships at the time. But okay. before that I was I was top ten every time. So and and were you following Jack's book at that point? What was training like? Was Jay coaching you, or was it just a combination? It was a combination, but mostly I just read Jack's book, and that's what I used for the longest. So if I needed a question, it was Jay was using it for his high school kids, and so I would ask him for help sometimes, but. Most of the time, it was just me reading the book. <laughs> just doing workouts yourself? Yep. Wow. Um, and then when did you finally decide, like, hey, maybe I should talk to this Jack Daniels guy? So after nursing school in 2010, I had decided I, I had to decide if I wanted to work full time or what place running was going to have. So I eventually decided that I was going to give running a chance and knowing my nursing license wasn't going anywhere. So I had been pretty successful coaching myself using the Jack's book and I just wanted more guidance. And I reached out to Jack, who was in North Carolina at the time. And since we lived in Georgia, it was not far to drive there and just visit with him. So he agreed. And one morning, Jay and I drove and we spent the afternoon getting to know him. And as you know him, we just had a lot of stories. He, <laughs> he didn't really answer my direct question. So <laughs> you just you guys just talk stories. There was never like, yeah, yeah I know. Do this. I know. Yep. So <laughs> I just got out of there and I was like, is he going to coach me? What does that mean? You know, so. So the other thing, the other part that sealed it, though, was just 
going to run full time was just coming to Flagstaff. So Jay had applied to several nursing schools and he had a chance to come to NAU. And so it was no brainer. It was the best combination of ingredients for both of us. He would go to school and I'll train full time. And then mm. we would decide what we'll do after he graduated. And then Luckily, Jack, uh, Jack moved back, and so that yeah. made it easy. So That's great. And then so this was close to the marathon trials, right, in 2012, yes. which were in, in January? Yeah, so it was 2011 when yeah. all that happened, yeah. And had you run a marathon? What? How many marathons had you done before 2012? So I had run a couple, maybe eight. I am not sure. But the one thing I'll tell you is I had run 237 four times, almost in a row. Really? Yes. And so I just remember those because I was trying to break six minutes every single time. And I would end up running 237, which was a little bit over six minutes. So I just remember that. And uh, I had never really trained for a marathon. But I was just doing all these local marathons, you know, they were paying like $3,000. And that would go a long way for a student, you know. And so I would do it on the weekend as part of my road racing. So you weren't tapering. You weren't really doing like a big buildup. There was no No. big competition. It was really like 237 time trial. Wow. So... And I, there was a month I raced every weekend. <laughs> I think I did five races in a weekend, and there was two halves, a marathon, a 10K, and I think wow. a 5K. So. Wow. And how was your body holding up? There was never a moment where you're like, oh, maybe this is too much. I was in my 20s. No. <laughs> <laughs> but Good old days. It seemed so fun, you know, like that was what I lived for when you've been in class the whole week. Yeah. You just want to go out. It's like my party zone. You know, people go to party out on Friday nights. I I don't go, but races were that for me on yeah. Saturday morning, so Sunday morning. <laughs> That's cool. And so at some point, Jack started, I mean, was he writing up training? Uh, you made a decision like, okay, we're going to go for the trials in 2012. And and how did that go? So uh, the trials is this, I don't know, I can't call it a fluke, but until late 2011, I had not been cleared to run for the USA. So mm. the Olympics wasn't on my radar. The Olympic trials was not on my radar at all. And after I had been cleared, my focus was to just run the U.S. Olympic champion, uh, the U.S. championships and just participate at the trials. So when I got cleared to run to run at the time, I was do I did the uh, 20K and a 10 mile and I can't remember the other one, but I decided to do New York. And then I got cleared, and so we turned our wheels, and I was like, you know, I could go to the Olympic trials for the marathon. And so I had already been training for the marathon, so we we just kind of switched and just stepped out a little bit at that time and then picked up again in November and focused on, on the trials. Did you do New York that November and then the trials in January? No, I did not because I had been doing a lot of road racing and Jack thought it was better for me to skip that. 
Okay, gotcha. So at the trials, you get fifth, right? And and it, yes. was, a, it was a big PR, right? 229? Yes, it was. It was... Well, what was your expectation going in? Was that a was that a surprise? Were you disappointed? You know, I was I was very happy with it. You know, yeah. I I didn't have a lot of experience in the marathon at the time. Like I had run the marathons, but it was really small. It's really hard to tell somebody. You know, you go to this race that you can play it safely or even run hard and still win. But the trials is a different thing. You know, you have all this real strong women and you have to be smart about it so i didn't have that kind of experience at the time uh, but the u.s championship races actually let me see where i feel in the u.s running landscape and so i had gained a little bit of experience on how to race the kind of the shorter races with these women but not the marathon and so when I ran the trials, I knew my training. Jack told me I was in shape for 228. I ran 229. And it's only because I did a few mistakes in the middle, you know. But 229, my dream was I had told Dave, if I ever break 230, I'm not going another step. I am done. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So... To, what's to your, run, fa- what's your run. favorite distance? The marathon wasn't it, obviously. No, it wasn't. My favorite distance would be anything 15 <laughs> to 21K. You know, I really love the half. Yeah. Yeah. I so, ran well in the 10K, but I felt like I could push long. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that watching that race. You were just, so it was, it was Shalane, Desi, then Kara, right? They were top yes. three. Yep. And then Amy Hastings um, was fourth. You were fifth. And then Dina Castor was yep. sixth. It was quite the crew up front. It was. And it was just a highlight of my life to just run with Dina and just be next to her just even when i look at the photos and see me next to her (laughs) just made me feel like wow i have made progress for sure did that have an effect of on you in the race that you were sort of mixing it up with these athletes or or when jack said 228 you felt like i belong here this is where i'm good yeah i actually that is the one big with one thing with me like i never have been afraid to raise anybody Mm. i give that to jack that's credit to jack because he does prepare you for the science the times not for the people you know and so i do my research and i know this person has run this and this person has run this and People can have bad days, and so I can have a bad day, and I just run my race. I don't really look at the people. In college, I dealt with that a lot, that I didn't belong here. When I would see somebody who had won nationals, I would back off thinking, I am going out too fast, you know? So, but I learned quickly when I worked with Jack that you just do you, you just run mm-hmm. for you. So that's great. Um, what did you have family? Are they, are they all in Kenya now? Did they get to see you race much in person or no? So, I have some siblings here. I had at the time I had two siblings that went to Harding and they came and watched the race. They surprised me, I didn't know they were going to be there. 
<laughs> and I had Jay's crew, all of them. Most people, most of our family from that side live in Arkansas or Texas or Nashville, Tennessee. And so it's really close for them to drive. And okay. so I had I had a lot of support for sure. That's cool. So then at that point, were you thinking, oh man, I'm close. I could make the Olympics. I'm I'm gonna hit the track, or was it still not there was there still not a drive towards making the team at that point? There was still not a drive, you know. <laughs> it was it was one of those things I had never I had not put on a spike in seven years, you know? Wow. And and at that point, it was like, these people are running like 31 minutes. I have run 34. That was so, still your PR, 34. Yes. Wow. And I had run faster on the road. And the only motivation that got me to go to uh, Stanford was to get a PR and run at Hayward Field. So I said, if I run a PR with my road time, then I think if I can run anything close to 32 or just right under 32, I will get to the Olympic trials and I would get to run at Hayward Field. So that was my biggest motivation. So Peyton Jordan, you went there, this was in April, I believe. You, yes. It was your first 10K in seven years on the track. Yep. And you're not going there to get the Olympic standard or make the trial. It's just to get a PR. To get a PR. That's correct. And <laughs> crazy enough, I start, we start out the race and Dina is in the race as well. And I, my watch didn't start for some reason. So after running a few laps, I looked down and my watch is not going. So, so I just latched onto a group, just like I would do in any race. And Dina was right in there. And because in my mind, I knew I had run with her at the Olympic trials. So I should be able to run the 10K with her. And I just remember pulling away just feeling good and just pulling away and I did not have any idea what kind of times I was running until I I came to the last 400 and realized I only needed to run under 90 seconds to get the Olympic A standard. Wow. And that's that was when I just tried to just hang on and be calm. Wow. What place were you in that race? I will not even tell you. I don't remember. You don't remember. Um, I know know Betsy won. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that race. I I could picture you in it. I just, I can't. so obligatory weekly mileage question. Um, what, what roughly, what were you running in terms of volume, weekly volume at that point? Do you remember? I was doing anywhere from a down week of 90. Like I would go race at 90 miles. Yeah. And my peak miles were 115. 115? Yeah. And, and was it a big transition um, just getting on the track? Obviously, training changed. Um, no injuries, nothing. You, you kind of just settled in and everything went went right to plan. It, it did. It did. Uh, it had taken what? At that point, I had been running for, what, 10 years at the time? 2012. Yeah. Over yeah. 10 years in my life and I think all those miles added up and it was not a big change because I remember even going to road races and just going from 110 miles to 90 it felt good I would still compete at that and just even going to the to Stanford 
I didn't really do any specific 10K workouts at all. Okay. I was still focused on I have to get back on my road racing. That was my <laughs> love. That was my love. And, you know, I cannot lose that part. So I was still running the fadlegs, you know, the tempos and just doing a few, like one workout session on the track once every two weeks. And so I did that even going into the trials, the Olympic trials, I still did that. The only time I did any specific 10K track workouts was after I made the team. After you made the team. I guess that's the beauty of Jack's system, right? Is like, even if you're training for the marathon, you're still doing 200s, right? You're still doing 400. So it's a transition isn't too bad. No, it wasn't at all. Like he, he does make you do strides in the stride the strides would feel like a 200 workout because yeah he used to make me do about 10 30 seconds and it would take me like 20 minutes <laughs> so right. Right, because the rest takes so long. Time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like you have to have. Yeah. Good rest, so, yeah. <laughs> That's great. And then so I always love Jack always loves to say, um, we'll talk we'll talk about the Olympics um, yeah. a little bit. You you make the team. Obviously, you got the A standard at Peyton Jordan, 31-33. That's your new PR. And then um, what was your Olympic experience like? Um, and this is in London, obviously, right? Yes, it is in London. So the Olympics is one of those things nobody will, nobody can really put it in words. Yeah. Like I make the team and it's like I was, I came at a, at a time that if you had the Olympic standard, you basically had made the team, you know? If it were now, it would yeah. be a different scenario. So I go into the race and two months in, I know I've made the team. And even between June and going to the Olympics, I still couldn't process it until I got there. And I was like, wow, I actually made the Olympic team and meeting all these great athletes and knowing, wow, I have made it for sure. And I think the highlight of my Olympics was just the opening ceremony. Yeah. You know, you can you cannot recreate that. The way you feel, the way you experience it. Who were, who were some of the athletes that you met in different sports or different countries that you were excited about? Did you meet anyone? I met a lot of people I met. You know, my biggest goal was to meet the basketball players and I got to meet the late Kobe Bryant you know you did wow yes uh, before we walked into the stadium and uh, some of the other big highlights was I have a really embarrassing story I don't know if I should put it out there so I went to the uh, US medical uh, the therapy room and when I was heading down I got into the elevator with these two tall guys and I, I looked up and then I looked down and I was like I know these guys you know I know these guys and they were really nice they were asking me uh when my event was if I was doing truck and I was telling them and I was just in awe 
that I forgot even to ask them when they were competing. <laughs> and so I was the first one to get out of the elevator and I got out and I was like, oh, shoot, that was Ryan Lochte oh, and, no. Mike, and Mike Phelps, you know? And <laughs> so that was one of those moments that I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so you guys were, yeah you were equals you were you were both you're all olympians right i know yeah you all have the same uniforms and they yeah. treat you as them so that's cool and so i what i was gonna say is that jack i'll, I'll spill the beans here so for anyone listening the Jack loves to talk about how you set a PR in the Olympic race in the in the 10K, which I, I don't know how common that is. It would be great to have a stat on how many people set a PR um, on the track in the Olympics. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the races can turn and the distance events pretty strategic. Um, yeah. So that, that kind of hurts it. But I feel like so many athletes who make it to the Olympics, it's like it's their dream. It's such the pinnacle of the sport. And then they never actually put out their best effort. It's, it's almost like it's just too much like you know they gave everything to get there you know and yeah. so it's incredible that you set a PR there 3112 right yes that was correct and so I think the biggest thing was as you said you know making the Olympic team is just hard by itself you know and you have two months to get back and you know and get another PR maybe so people spend a lot of time to make the team and then by the time they get there with <laughs> everything else going on. It was a little bit different for me because I got the standard in April and then I did maintenance work and this is to Jack's training for sure. You can race and still maintain your fitness at a pretty high level, not the peak level for sure. You are not going to pick, but you're going to really compete at a high level because people you used to ask me, how can you turn around and do road races after road races, you know? And it's just the pure training that he gives you. And so at that point, I did specific workouts for the 10K on the track, put on spikes to do workouts, and that helped. <laughs> so I think it actually paid off just doing the two-month build up to the Olympics and that ended up being a PR and yeah to spill the beans I have not run another track 10k or put on <laughs> spikes since then <laughs> that was it that was it well you were you were 12th in the Olympics right 12th yes. the American women you guys were 11 12 13th you were two seconds Yes. between the three of you two seconds spread which is cool I, I do remember that race Amy was two seconds in front of you Lisa was um was like two tenths behind you yeah um it was a fast race it was it yeah. was a very fast race and when I went in as I always do I look at the stats again I yeah, there was a possibility if I ran my time and the fastest person would run their time, they would love me. And my goal was not to be loved. <laughs> it's so. well she didn't, right? She was only No, she didn't. Yeah. yeah. She got you by about fifty seconds. So Yes, yeah. Not even close. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, th that was the world's fastest time that, that year. It was, it was. Um, by Dababa, yeah, 30-20, wow. Yep. Um, 
Incredible, Janet. I love, love to hear this story. So how is it you, you mentioned with your athletes now that many of them are, are sticking with it and, and hanging in there these days, despite race cancellations. And it sounds like the coaching to you, you've had quite the experience and it sounds like coaching has really just been a natural fit um, with your athletes and um, just kind of using Jack's book as a guide but yeah um how how have you find found the transition to coaching yourself you know uh it's been amazing it's been great and if any of my athletes would listen i do thank every single one of them none of them has bailed they have kept a positive attitude even at this time and we yeah. do thank you for that and the biggest thing i have learned all these years is progress equals success and the way I look at it is the program is just a foundation, not, not a ceiling. You have to adapt to it. So people are different, lives are different, locations are different, goals are different. And uh, I do make a plan according to uh, every athlete's uh, needs, for sure. So when I make a plan, I just let life dictate the rest of it. What really happens after that, I am not going to be really stringent about, you know, uh, we missed this, we did that, you know. So we have to keep perspective. That's what I tell myself. I get I get a message from an athlete and, you know, we got to keep running as running and life as life. Life is going to happen. And so we always have to think of that in every aspect of our training for sure. So the biggest thing that uh, when I fast sick athletes is I am pretty picky sometimes. And I do talk to them about their expectations and I feel like expectations are actually like they're the devil. You know, <laughs> it's it's based on things that have not happened. Mm. I like Jack's training because it's based on science. It's based on experiments and it shows things that have happened. And I actually like that part of coaching for sure. And that's I think has given me the success I've had and given some of my athletes the success they have had. So consistency and just the progress you see every year and just sticking to one thing. You know, I really have a hard time of people who want to get coached for three months. You know, I don't know, even if you tell me where you're coming from, it's still not going to match. So it's always hard to piece those together. Mm. But if you give it time, I have an athlete who has run in the last five years, run almost 10 minutes faster than when we started training, you know? So that's cool. I love your perspective and, and your outlook on life. And it's clear that that's played such a role in, in your success. You have such a different story, unique background. And um, thanks so much for sharing, Janet. We appreciate it. I do appreciate it. And for the rest of the world out there, and they should listen to Jack a lot. <laughs> I, I really like his uh, the, when he said an absence of direction is better than a bad direction hmm. that is actually my favorite quote from him so nice we'll, we'll yeah. talk on that I love it yeah it's awesome yep I've been over